Amen. Elvis Presley once said that ambition is a dream with a V8 engine. Marcus Aurelius said a man's worth is no greater than his ambitions. Teddy Roosevelt once said this. You guys have probably heard this quote before. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have been done better. The credit, the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the worthy cause, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who, is, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Brothers, my name is James Rosenquist. I hail from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I uh, was converted as a teen in Northern Virginia. I, uh, I've been a campus minister in Pittsburgh for six years. I have a lovely wife, Elena, and a wonderful son, Jack. He's two and a half. I love adventures. I love being outside. I love climbing trees. I like Christmas. I love scary movies, but I get really scared during scary movies. I love Jesus. I love reading my Bible. I'm insecure. I got to work on my prayer life. And I'm currently evaluating what it means to take my faith to the next level. Just a little bit about who I am. This morning we're talking about what it means to be ambition, ambitious. Talking about godly ambition. So what is godly ambition? Think about that for a second. What does it mean to be ambitious for the things that God cares about? Ambition is having a go-for-it attitude. Having a mindset of going for it. How many of you guys have a friend who's, who's your go-for-it friend? Right? He's not going to do the crazy stuff, but when you're thinking about doing something crazy, he's the guy that goes, go for it. <laughs> you know, He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, jump off that cliff. Go for it. I'm not going to do it, but, but go for it. That's, that's an ambitious friend, or at least he wants you to be ambitious. A high degree of ambition means that you go for it no matter the cost. If you have a high degree of ambition, you will go for it no matter the cost. Some of you have been told that you're ambitious. Maybe after you told somebody else who you're interested in. Right? I like this sister. Whoa, bro. You, you are ambitious. That's not a bad thing, right? You should be a little ambitious in who you're interested in. I was, and it paid off. Amen. But people are ambitious about all kinds of things. People are, are ambitious about their careers, about their dreams, and about their passions. Ambition is having a goal in mind and going for it no matter the cost. So godly ambition means that you're ambitious about God's goals. And you go for God's goals no matter the cost. So what is God's goal? The Bible says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's in 1 Timothy 2. Let me read that again. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's goal is for all people to be saved. The other day someone said, uh, they were talking about people on their campuses that became Christians. 
And they were like, oh, I was a little disappointed at, at how many people decided to really live for Jesus. And then the other brother said, oh, bro, you know what? The exact number of people that God wanted to be saved were saved that semester. And I thought, I don't think that's true. I just don't think that's true. I think God wants every single person on your campus to be saved. It's in the Bible. <laughs> but that, that brother was trying to comfort him with, you know what? I think the exact number of people that God wanted to be saved were saved. No, God wants every single person that you interact with to know Christ, to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all. God is ambitious about all his people, about all nations, about all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. God says to others, sell all that you have. God is very interested in your all and giving up everything that you have. God wants all people to be all in. So godly ambition means that we want what God wants. We want all people to be all in and we will go for it no matter the cost. That's what godly ambition is. Wanting God's goal and going for it no matter the cost. Turn with me over to John 2. We're going to look at an example where Jesus demonstrates what it means to have godly ambition. John 2.13 When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. I love this story about Jesus because Jesus goes for it here. Right? He sees what's going on in the temple. You guys know this story. He says, this shouldn't be. So he goes for it, no matter the cost. My, uh, this passage always makes me think of my freshman roommate. He would always shout out at different times, get that out of here. Anytime there was like sin or something going on, even sometimes when he was struggling with his own purity, he would just like talk to himself, talk to his brain, like get that out of there. And I remember one time, we were, uh, it was my freshman year, and uh, we were hanging out in my dorm, and, and Matt Fisk was there. My, my roommate was Cole Seaball. Some of you guys might know them. And uh, we, were, we were hanging out in the dorm, and my hallmates had put up this, this scandalous poster in the bathroom of this, this woman who was dressed you know, terribly and everything. And they put up this poster, and my mindset was, oh man, I guess I have to use a different bathroom. <laughs> or I guess I have to brush my teeth like this. You know, I got to avoid the temptation. My roommate's answer was, Get that out of there! And, and my roommate and Matt went into the bathroom, took the poster, ripped it in half, and threw it in the trash. Don't necessarily recommend doing that. But that was zeal for their house. They're like, if this is going to cause me to struggle, no way. That's our common space. This is not okay. And sometimes when I think about having zeal, I think about that story. And I think, honestly, that's not me. When I think of zealous people, people with lots of ambition... I'm like, I, I don't feel like I fit that category. You guys relate to that at all? Where you think of people that are just like, they go for it all the time. And you're like, I, I want to, but, but I'm somewhat okay with other people being the go for it people. And I got their back. That can kind of be my mindset. And um, I want to get heated. I want to get passionate. I want to dream and do great and bold things for God. But I can feel like I don't have whatever Jesus had in this story. Or I don't have what my friend Cole and Matt had in that story. But 
It's not about what you feel or what you have. It's about what you see. Jesus didn't have just some internal drive driving him. He saw something that wasn't okay and he did something. So the source of godly ambition is all about what we see. How you see the world, how you see the people around you, how you see the situations in your life. What do you see? So if, if zeal was consuming Jesus, what did he see? We kind of know this story as, oh man, it, it, they, were, they were dealing with money in the temple and that wasn't okay. But it actually goes deeper than that. In the temple, there were different courts. You guys might know the Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God resided. Outside of that was called the Holy Place, where only a few people could go. Outside of that was the court of the priests, where only the priests could go. You guys catch it on, right? Then outside of that was the hall or the court of Israel, where only the Israelite men could go. Then there was the court of women, where only... Wow, you guys are smart. Only women could go, right? Then outside of that was the court of the Gentiles, where only Gentiles could go. So if you were a Gentile and you believed in God and wanted to worship at the temple, the only place you could go was into the court of Gentiles. That was also the place where all of the money changing was going on. So Jesus, who wants all people to be saved, both Jew and Gentile, is sitting in the one place where the Gentiles can worship God. And what's going on there? People are arguing over the prices of sheep. Sheep are, are pooping everywhere. Sheep are, are making loud noises. People are, are, are dealing with money back and forth. Imagine trying to pray in that scenario. And the one place you can pray, where maybe you were like the Ethiopian eunuch and you came all that way just to pray in the temple. And all this is going on. And Jesus says, no. Get that out of here. This is not how that should be. He, he says this in, in the Matthew account. He says, um, you have, my, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers. He's quoting a psalm that says, it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. What he's saying is, this is supposed to be a place where all nations can worship me, and you're ruining it. And that's what fuels his ambition and his zeal in this scenario. It wasn't about just being hyped for, for zeal's sake, but it was about something was going on that shouldn't have been going on. And he got heated. It was a den of robbers because everyone there was robbing the Gentiles of the opportunity to worship God. Jesus is indignant because he is ambition, uh, ambitious about all people being all in. He is so ambitious that he goes for it no matter the cost. And it, it was a strange way to, to behave. I, I know some people are like, well, you know, he, uh, Jesus definitely had to whip people. Like, I, I get the sense that, that he, he had to have hit at least one person, at least accidentally, right? He's not like purposely playing. He's just heated. He's like, this needs to get out of here. And he goes for it. And it, it's a little bit costly. People start doubting him at that point on from his ministry. But think about this. There were people in that room, in that court, that saw what was going on and even knew it was wrong, but were unwilling to be ambitious about it. There were people that knew this is probably not okay. For sure, the Gentiles that were there, they were hurt and they didn't do anything about it. The Pharisees had to have known that this wasn't okay. Even the disciples who, who connected the dots later had to have thought this is not okay, but they didn't do anything. And this can be us sometimes. We think to ourselves, someone should do something about that. Right? We see something going on, or we, we, we see that, man, someone needs to, to go to this place and, and bring the gospel. 
Maybe you study the Bible with a friend. That friend wants to become a Christian and they go home to middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania or Ohio or Virginia. And you're like, man, I wish someone should plant a church there. That's you. You are the someone that should do something about the thing that you think someone should do something about. Say that again because I was proud of that. Someone should do something. You are the someone that should do something about the thing that you think someone should do something about. You're the person. The answer is you. And how do we get there? We got to be consumed with our zeal for God's house. What are you consumed with? What's on the forefront of your mind? You got time to yourself. What do you do with that time? You know, listen to a podcast. What, what podcast do you listen to? Doesn't mean that non-Christian podcasts are bad. I'm just saying what, what consumes our mind? What do we fill our head with? What kinds of things are at the forefront of your minds? You know, for these people that didn't respond to what was going on, odds are that they, it wasn't that they didn't care, it was that they were so consumed with themselves that they couldn't even see what was going on. They couldn't even see the tragedy of what was occurring. We've got to be consumed with our zeal for God's house. The world is hurting. I think everyone knows that. Not news to you that our world is broken, fallen. You guys have all experienced it, right? Anyone disagree? Get out. No, I'm kidding. Get him out of here. No, our world is broken. People are walking around on your campuses with a false sense of security. They think me and God are like this, and them and God are like this. They think, I, I'm right with God. I've been saved. I've, I've gone through the, the things I need to go through, and yet they're living a life totally opposite of what the Bible calls them to. And they just don't know. They're not evil, but they don't know because someone hasn't told them. There are people that think that they are full, that the life that they're living is life to the full, when really there's a hole in the bucket. They're not really full. There are hurting people that are hurting each other. They don't know how to deal with the hurt that's in their life. There are people going to hell every day. I don't like that. That that, that even bothers me theologically, the idea of hell and different things. And, and at ICMC, there was a lot of statistics about on campus, depression and different things that affect our lives. But no one actually mentioned that people are dying and going to hell. That's the number one reason why we've got to share our faith. Why we've got to be ambitious for God's dreams is that people are dying without any knowledge, any hope in something greater. They don't know God and they don't get to know him for eternity. Will you be ambitious for God's house. Will you stand in the gap? Will you proclaim the good news to the broken and the condemned? Guys, you're, you're God's plan A and there is no plan B. We're God's answer to what's going on. So you got to decide to let zeal for God's house consume you. We're going to stop here for a second. We have three different parts. That was part one. Just talking about the heart behind zeal and ambition. Uh, in a second, Colin's going to come up. Colin Sanborn from EKU, uh, Richmond, Kentucky. Yeah? Yeah? Cool. He's going to come up in a second. He's going to share about what fuels his ambition to, to be on the mission field for God. And then what we're going to do is an exercise. Instead of me sitting here talking, we're going we're gonna, to, I don't know, talk about eight different places that need the gospel. And we're going to divide into groups and figure out how do we, this room, get the gospel to those eight places. And then we'll talk some more. Amen? So come on up, Colin. What's up, everybody? Okay, so I'm just fired up listening to James talk about ambition. 
Um, so to just give you um, kind of a picture of, of who I am. So I went to University of Kentucky um, and graduated back in 2017. And like James said, I'm now at Eastern Kentucky University. And have any, has anyone ever heard of Eastern Kentucky University? Three, four, five. Okay, that's good. That's good. Who's, has, who's heard of Virginia Tech? Woo! Okay, that's weird. A lot more. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I actually I got the chance to plant a campus ministry at Eastern Kentucky University. It's a, a university of about, on paper, it says 17,000. When I'm there, I only see like 1,000, so I don't know where that comes from. But uh, um, it's actually a lot smaller than the, my alma mater of UK, which is 32,000. Um, and so at first, it was kind of like, why not just stay at UK uh, and work there? Because there's so many people all around um, that need the gospel. But um, let me backtrack and go back to the beginning. Um, I didn't have like really any ambition um, until I, I met Jesus. Um, I feel like now I, and even as James was talking about, I don't, I don't think myself is super ambitious. But as he was talking. I started just getting fired up and, and excited and my, my heart beats like like it's getting it's getting higher, not because I'm about to speak, but because he's talking about the gospel spreading. And I guess I am spiritually ambitious, like not in like a prideful, arrogant way, but I, I guess I never really saw that until um, as people talk about it, I get fired up because before I was a Christian, I didn't care about anything. Um, I cared about, well, I guess I, I cared about getting high. And I cared about sleeping with my girlfriend and, or, or sleeping with other women. That's literally all I cared about. Um, I think at a, at a younger age, I figured out that, like, well, who cares about anything? <laughs> like, why not just pursue pleasure, get high, party, get drunk, just have fun? Because who cares about anything else? Um, I wasn't a Christian. I believed in God, but I didn't really believe in God or else my life would have changed. So I really didn't have any hope, didn't have any aspirations. I loved getting high. Because it altered my perception and it wasn't so boring in life. Um, but then I became a Christian. And before that, I never, ever read the Bible. Um, but then I started reading the Bible for like the first time. And it blew me away. And I was challenged to read um, the book of Matthew by next week. Um, and I went home, you know, tried to find my Bible somewhere. I didn't have it. So I borrowed my mom's. And I read all of Matthew that night. As soon as I started picking it up, I couldn't put it down. I was like, this is amazing stuff. Um, and then obviously I became a Christian and all that stuff. But since a freshman in college, um, when I was exposed to the gospel for the first time, it, that is all I've cared about. Um, I, I, that's all I want. I, I do wake up thinking about how we need to spread the gospel. And I wake up thinking about um, how, how a lot of people don't hear it. And I think it's so weird and I used to go to late, or class late because I used to pass people that I know I don't know if they've been shared with yet. And so I'm like, well, class isn't that important. And I would share my faith with them. Um, I still get good grades, so that's good. Um, but the thing is, I graduated, and all I wanted to do was full-time ministry because that's all I cared about. I changed my major to a church history because I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Uh, I wanted to see how it spread in advance and all that stuff. But... I graduated and, and I could have stayed um, at UK and try to build up and, and whatnot, but there was an opportunity. And there was an opportunity at Eastern Kentucky University that's about 30 minutes away from UK. And we had one disciple there, and he was off and on depending on um, what semester. But I think what really drives me is the gospel. I think I get inspired 
and I, and I, I think what feeds my ambition is the Bible. Because again, I never knew the Bible beforehand. And so as I started reading the Bible, I, belie- I believed it. You know, as if it's the first time you read your Bible. I believed it. You believed it. And I think over time, we don't have any spiritual ambition. is because we stopped believing it. But in, in Romans 15, verse 18, this is Paul talking about his travels and whatnot. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elysium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then another translation says, I make it my driving ambition to preach the gospel where he has not been named yet. And I think about, where did Paul get that idea? Paul knew his Bible. In Isaiah 66, and really all of Isaiah, it talks about how one day, one day, the God, Yahweh, the God of the Jews, will be spread throughout all the nations. At this point in time, in his life, and in his ministry work, the gospel has been spread. It's been spread to all the known world. Except where? Spain. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it talks, it's called Tarshish. That's the one place it hasn't reached yet at this point in Paul's life. But Paul knew the Bible, and he saw what God's ambition was. He said that God wants the gospel to spread everywhere, to all nations. The one that was left was Tarshish, Spain. And so that's all that... Paul thought about. That's all he cared about. He made it his ambition, his driving ambition to go to Spain because they haven't heard it yet. He believed the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? It blows me away when when people are fired up about things that just do not matter. But God matters. And so um, there's not a lot of money out there. And I I work for, I don't get paid by the church at all. Um, And so do what you got to do, but make it your driving ambition to preach the gospel where they haven't heard it yet. Amen. When you're ambitious for God's dreams, you're willing to do whatever it takes to see them come into fruition. What we're going to do right now, like I said, is we're going to divide up probably by like sets of two rows. And uh, I'll give each set of two rows an area that, that hasn't, uh, either there's not a campus ministry or there's not uh, a full-time campus minister there. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it's just some of those places. And uh, what you're going to do is answer these three questions. What will you do? So imagine when you graduate in the next five years, whatever that might look like, what can you do to help see a campus ministry in these places? Um, and so think about resources, think about, okay, I'm going to have to work and after work, I'm going to go on campus or how are we going to reach the marrieds in that area? What are we going to do? You might even pull out your phone and look at, okay, how big is the school? What are the other schools in the area? Where's the the closest church? Whatever. Think about that for a second. Um, and then answer this question. What can God do? So if looking at what you do, but what can God do through that? And then lastly, the third question is what will it take? So what will you do? What can God do? And what will it take? Um, first two rows right here. You guys are going to be at West Virginia University in Morgantown. Uh, second two rows, you guys are going to go down to Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky. All right, there's already something there. You guys are going to go support that. Two rows, let's say uh, 
Yeah, two rows behind that, the, the five of you guys. You guys are going to Liberty, Liberty University in Virginia. Looked at me like, where is that? All right. The, the rest of you guys in the back there, you guys are going to D.C., Washington, D.C., all right? Figure out how to get something going there. All right, let's go with the first three rows up here. You guys, Kingston, Jamaica, all right? They're trying to hire. That's pretty nice, right? All right. Um, behind that, let's just do one row, the row behind you guys right there. Uh, you guys are going to Melbourne, Australia. Behind you guys, so the next two rows. You guys see where you are right there? Red shirt, jean jacket thing. Um, you guys are going to Bowling Green, Ohio. You get something going there, all right? Uh, behind you, um, the row behind you with the, the hat there, the fresh hat, nice hat, man. Uh, you guys are going to Youngstown, Ohio, all right? And then the back section over there, you guys are going up to the Lehigh Valley, all right? So take, take about five, six minutes and talk together about what will you do, what can God do, and what will it take? And, and one other thing, think about it as, as if it's just you. No other resources, no other people. It is just you that are going to go and help out these areas. All right? Go. But um, I don't need the mic anymore. Who, um, let's maybe have one group or maybe two groups share um, what they came up with. Who wants to go? All right. Yeah, nice. Where are you going? So we had Stand up, man. Tell, tell us the game plan. Stand So we had West Virginia, and so a huge part of it was just putting, taking everything out of our own hands, putting it with God's. I mean, it's totally logical that we can only see the, we can only see what we can see. So why not put our trust in someone that can see beyond what we can see? So a huge part of it was just very prayer. Um, it's going out every single day and really being like a persistent widow in Luke 18 and really just going out and praying every day about God uh, softening the hearts of everybody. They were saying softening the hearts of people there, but also very much from seeing people like Matthew God is helping us and harass. Um, so seeing them as everybody needs to come to repentance like Second Peter 3. Um, and so like, all these different things to seeing like these people's hearts and seeing that they really need a relationship with God. Um, so they said so many great things. So yeah. Amen. Stuff like that. Amen. Let's have another group. Yeah, in the back. Where are you guys going? Is that Youngstown? Good answer. Sharing daily was another one, like starting with prayer and fasting, and just like going after every day as much as we could each day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get it started even beforehand. That's great. Anyone else? All right, yeah, one more. Go for it.
there um, in the nearest church in Akron, Ohio, which is 50 minutes away. Yeah. 50 minutes away. So it would probably take um, either planning a church there or having like a different branch of an Akron church there because it is a good distance away. Um, and the other nearest church is not Akron. Yeah. The next closest ministry is Pitt, which is about an hour. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Amen. Go penguins. Yes. Amen. Well, the reason I asked you guys to think about this is I, I gave you that question of, you know, imagine, imagine if you are the only people that are going to go, if it's just you. And the reality is it is. You guys are going to be the answer to these places. doesn't mean that everyone's going into the full-time ministry to all these places or going to go plant something. But maybe, maybe where you are, you're saying, how can I give sacrificially to support the work over there? Or you're thinking, what do I need to do to get myself to one of these places to, to do what, what Colin is doing, to work full-time and in my free time go on campus and share my faith? A lot of these places are not going to be church plants, but rather they're going to be campus ministry plants. Right, where it's just a campus ministry goes and it becomes a place where teens can graduate and they can go and fuel the area. And then people graduate and they stay in that area. And so for us as a movement, it comes down to this room right here. Of all the campus students, you guys came to the class on godly ambition. That You guys are the answer. Look around. You're God's answer to these places. And we got to take that seriously. There are tens of thousands of people graduating from these places without knowing the gospel. We've got to, to be the answer. So the last question, the last part here is what will it take? If you want to be ambitious for God's house later, what does it take now? Because one thing to say, okay, when I graduate, I'm going to do something epic for God. But are you doing something epic now? Come on. Are you sacrificing? It takes one thing. It takes trust. Having zeal for God's house takes trust. It's not, it's not oh man, I got to be fired up all the time. No, you've got to trust God radically. Because if you trust God, you'll trust that he'll meet your needs and you'll be willing to go anywhere, do anything and give up everything for God's house. And you will be consumed by your zeal. You want ambition? You've got to trust God. Too often what happens when you're in school or, or doing things like that, you feel like there's God's house and there's my house. And God's house kind of threatens my house, right? And we, we use the word balance. I hate the word balance. Because what it does is it separates what we do from what God wants us to do. So I just got to make sure my needs are met as if God cannot meet our needs. We got to get rid of that word balance. Say everything I do is to God's glory. Everything I do is part of my ambition for God's house. And that takes trust that God's house is better than my house. Do you really believe that God's plan for you is better than your plan for you? Amen. <laughs> to the brother in the front. But do you really believe... That what God wants for your life is better than what you want for your life. If you want to grow in trust, you've got to follow the shepherd. When you trust God, you'll go where he leads you. A sheep trusts the shepherd, so the sheep goes where the shepherd says. You want trust, two things will help you grow in trust. Read about God's character. I never get tired of reading how God takes care of his people over and over and over again. Sometimes immediately, sometimes decades later. Sometimes only in heaven. But God takes care of his people. 
And I trust that because I've read it and I know God's character. The other way you can grow in trust is to take risks. To make mistakes, to blow it and trust that God will have your back. I'm not talking about sin, by the way, but I'm talking about putting your heart out there, making some mistakes for God. Want to lift up a brother? He, he's actually here. Cameron be, became a Christian, uh, what, Super Bowl Sunday in like 2016? And uh, he got baptized about uh, a week or two later. He texted a guy who had been coming out to church for a while. And he, he or he didn't text him, he Snapchatted him he, and snapped him, whatever you call it. And uh, he, uh, he said, study, question mark. And he took a picture of his Bible and sent it to this guy uh, who, who wasn't a disciple who lived underneath. And um, underneath him in the dorm. And uh, I guess that could be weird. He lived underneath spiritually. <laughs> but no, he lived underneath him or above him in the dorm. And uh, the guy saw it. And he thought, oh, we're going to study, like bio or something. He didn't see the Bible. And so he's like, sure. And he comes up to study. Camp sits down with him, about two weeks old as a Christian, and reads Galatians 5.19. It says, the acts of the sinful flesh are obvious. You know, and he goes into all this stuff. You know, if you live like this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So what are you going to do about it, bro? You know, and he shares all this stuff. And, and I love Cam, but he had no clue what he was doing. But he was willing to take a risk. Three weeks later, that guy was baptized into Christ. It's amazing. But are we willing to take risks? Are we willing to just kind of put our heart out there? Sam, Sam Williams is the guy that w- was baptized. He has a dream to stay in Pittsburgh and help build up the campus ministry. Right? And he wants to give. He wants to take a year, do a one-year challenge. But he's already got a job offer in Philadelphia. For those that don't know, it's five hours away. Same state, but five hours away. He's got a nice, cushy job opportunity where they want him to be a manager of this and that through a Deloitte and things like that. And what he said is, well, I want to stay in Pittsburgh. And they said, well, we want you in Philadelphia. And so he sat down with them and said, okay, here's the deal. I want to work remotely. And here's, here's how I want you to do it for me. I'm going to work uh, for the whole year in Pittsburgh. I'll come once every other month for a week and work for you in Philly. And he just lays it out there. Who does that? Right? You get offered a job right out of college in your field. You say, okay, thank you. I'll be there. But he goes, no, no, no. This is how I want it to go. My first year at the job, I'm going to work remotely. And guess what they said? No. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's continuing to ask and he's going for it. And they haven't, shot, they haven't said we're taking away our offer. He's kind, they're kind of in this stalemate right now. And he's like, well, this, I'll, I'll find another job. And they're like, well, we'll, maybe we'll keep talking about it. Maybe we can figure it out. Because they want him to work for him. But he wants to do something ambitious for God. And he's willing to put it out there and take that risk. If you want to be ambitious for God, you've got to trust God. If you trust God, you're going to share with more people than you ever have. Trusting God means that you share your faith on campus until you get a Bible study. Right? You're like, you know what, God, I'm just going to go for it. When you trust God, you're willing to fast, to challenge the sin in your brothers and sisters. When you trust God, you're going to commit to great times with God. You're going to develop a reading plan and say, you know what? My schoolwork is not going to get in the way of my time with God. It cannot do that. If you trust God, you're willing to get rid of your smartphone or take the door off the hinges in your room so that you can be pure for God. If you trust God, you're going to get real about your insecurities and your sin. If you, if you're, if you trust God, you're, ask, you're going to ask your friends to study the Bible and you're going to ask your parents to study the Bible. That's ambitious for God's sake. That's what it means to trust God. When we trust God, we do wild things. And zeal can consume us in that way. I have a challenge for you guys to take with you. Think for a second about one need 
that's back home on your college campuses? Maybe in the ministry, maybe outside of the ministry, maybe amongst just on your campus. What's one significant need that you see? Because that's the source of ambition is what we see. Then when you go home, do something this week that requires a high degree of godly ambition for that area. That, that based on what you see, you're going to do something that requires a high degree of godly ambition. You're going to go for it no matter the cost. And here's the kicker. Text me about it. My number, 703-346-1966. Text me about it for two reasons. I want to know, but before you do whatever that thing is, tell me and I want to pray for you while you're out there doing whatever that thing is. And, and that it creates some accountability, right? It can be helpful. But think about what can you do just this week that will require a greater degree of godly ambition? Can you say your number again? 703, you have it, 346-1966. Amen. If you, if you need it afterwards, see me. I want to talk real quick about those that are considering going into the full-time ministry. I think that's a great goal and it's a great ambition to have. If you want to do that, then you've got to set aside the need to protect yourself and let zeal for God's house consume you. Too often I talk about people, I talk to people that want to go in the ministry and their first thought is, well, what am I going to do to pay the bills? And don't get me wrong. That's a good thought to have, but that's a secondary thought to what can I do for God? And I talk to people that, that complain, that interns, first year in the ministry that complain about what they make as interns and they tell me what they make and it's more than I make now as a campus minister of six years with a wife and a kid. So I'm like, okay, maybe you need to trust God more. Okay, amen. Like, you know, but we just get too focused on the wrong stuff, you know. And we can be like, okay, what am I going to get out of this exchange? Uh, it's called Jesus dying for you. So I'm going to be willing to do whatever it takes. Just being real. And I know this because I believe the Bible's true. Philippians 4:19 says, "And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus." I believe God will meet all of your needs. And I know that people in your life care about those things, but we've got to be mostly concerned, predominantly concerned with God's glory. So if you're thinking about going into the ministry, my advice to you is go for it. Go into the full-time ministry. If it, if it tends to not be, if it doesn't work out for you, then you know that God has a different plan. But why not go for it now, especially when you graduate? If you're not sure, seek lots of counsel, but I have the same advice for you. Go for it. After a year, you might be like, you know what? This isn't for me, but that's okay. I, I know how I can best serve in the kingdom of God. But go for it. Now is the most flexible time that you'll have. Um, for a lot of you, that means doing a one-year challenge. We talk about that, and I think one-year challenges get kind of a bad rep. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate, so I don't know. I'll do a one-year challenge. Instead of, I know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to put that on hold. And I'm going to do a one-year challenge and say, you know what? I'm going to dedicate one year to just going for it, no matter the cost. There are places that will, will take you in a heartbeat and try to take care of you as best they can, but just need individuals to say, you know what, I want training and I want to go for it and see what happens. Um, if you're in your campus currently and you want to grow in, in, in ambition, two things, create opportunity for yourself. Find people to study the Bible with. Plan events. Get the brothers together for a breakfast at 6 a.m. It may just be you and that one brother that's got your back, but it doesn't matter. Go for it. Do something. And then if you get entrusted with something by someone else, that becomes the most important thing that you're that the most important responsibility that you have. The reason being is that sometimes we're like, you know, someone's like, hey, bro, I need your help. Can you be an usher for this thing? You're like, oh, 
No, I want to do something more epic. But you have the opportunity to be the best usher that that church has ever seen. <laughs> you know, you have an opportunity to take it and own it. For me, when I was in the campus ministry, I was in the campus ministry with Matt Fisk, who was preaching all the time and all this stuff. And I felt insecure because I felt like I was just the, the ministry idiot, is what I told him one night. I said, all I'm good for is blowing up balloons. Um, didn't plan for there to be so many balloons in here, but uh, it works. <laughs> all I'm good for is blowing up balloons and making people laugh. And um, Matt's like, but you do a great job blowing up those balloons. <laughs> And I decided, you know what? I'm going to be the best dang balloon blower upper in the world. And I worked on it. And uh, then w- one year I was at camp doing something. And uh, the guy doing the main lesson came up to me and said, hey, I need your help with the lesson. I was like, all right, it's my time. I'm ready. What do you want me to preach on? He goes, can you blow up these balloons? And I thought, my purpose has been fulfilled. I shall blow them up. But it's like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but do it all for the glory of God and make it important. Uh, if you're entrusted with a Bible talk or if you're entrusted with the opportunity to study the Bible with somebody, study the Bible with them. Share your life with them. Get with them in between the studies and things like that. And lastly, incredible times in history and in the Bible come when we get behind God's goals. And we go for it no matter the cost. In 1964, a man by the name of J.W. Tucker was killed along with 30 other missionaries as they were beaten with broken bottles and thrown into crocodile-infested uh, waters. The, waters was, the river was known as the uh, Bomokande River, and it was in Congo. These guys were missionaries. This was, uh, what, 70 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, something like that. And um, before J.W. Tucker decided to go to the Congo during a civil war, his friends were like, dude, don't, don't do that. They didn't say dude, but they said, don't, don't do that. You might not come back. And his words... Where God didn't tell me I had to come out, he told me I had to go in. And he decided to go to this area. And he went, and he was killed as a martyr after a few years of ministry with 30 other missionaries. 30 years later, people were wondering, was that worth it? His wife was wondering, was that sacrifice worth it? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. But 30 years later, another tribe that, that uh, this river flows through, the Bomokande flows through, not Wakanda, the Bomokande River. It flows through this village. The village is Mong, uh, Mong Betu. Um, and uh, this, this river flows through it. 30 years later, they were dealing with some civil unrest. And they asked the government, they said, send us somebody to help us. And the government said, we'll send you one of our police officers. That police officer, his name was Brigadier. He was a police officer that, that came to know Christ after... Um, J.W. Tucker shared the gospel with him. So he had known, known Christ about two months before J.W. Tucker died. And so he shared the gospel. And uh, this guy shows up into this village. And he's trying to help the village out. Nothing's working. And then he comes across a phrase. And it's a phrase that this tribe lives by. The phrase, let me find it real quick here. Is, um, I want to get it right. If the blood of any man flows in the Bomokonde River, you must listen to his message. So basically, if the blood flows in this river, you have to listen to the message. Well, he was like, let me tell you the message of J.W. Tucker. And he started to share the message. And the whole tribe began to believe in God as a result. You never know what God is going to do. And most of you probably won't see the extent to what God is going to do in your life. It might happen after you die. But you'll know in heaven what God did. One of my favorite scriptures is Joshua 3, 5. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
Decide today to consecrate yourself. To say, you know what, I'm going to go for it no matter the cost. And it's a guarantee that tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. When you have ambition for God's house, you make decisions that don't make sense. You're willing to make a fool of yourself. You don't stand for deceit or plastering on a face. When you have ambition for God's house, you're willing to be broken by lostness around you. And you'll go for it no matter the cost. Most importantly, guys, Jesus had ambition for God's house, but he also had ambition for you. Jesus went for it no matter the cost when it came to pursuing you. So let's do the same for him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are done, and let's get out of here.